uh, three weeks uh, about some different subjects, about prayer, uh, about repentance. And uh, last week, anybody appreciate John Lux as he shared about obedience? And uh, John is one of our missionaries from uh, North Africa, and he did such an awesome job. Yes, Ashley will be joining them over there soon. Um, But, uh, (laughs) all right. We get excited about being on mission with God around here, if you didn't know that. And uh, we, uh, we've discussed over the last few weeks that um, a revival very simply is an awakening of God's people to the reality of who God is in a fresh way and, um, and a bringing in of many people who don't know God already to come to a relationship with Jesus, very simply. It's an awakening and it's an in-gathering. So uh, you can see it that way. God... Um, you know, corporate revival, however, is only as strong as the individuals that comprise it. We, it's kind of an interesting mix. We can't just have a revival uh, corporately if no one is personally getting revived. When a group of people are revived in God, it becomes a revival uh, of what God has. Uh, I have, you may wonder what this is up here. I'm going to do something right off the bat here. So let me see. Don't say I never gave you anything. Don't say I never gave you anything, please. Oh, I'm sorry, sweetheart. It hit you in the head. I was worried about that. I'll get it back there. Everybody get one. Don't open it. Don't open it. Don't eat it. No, not yet. Who loves me? Anybody else? All right, you can, uh, somebody can help me pass it out. If someone doesn't have one, this section, whatever section, somebody help me pass it out. Ashley. Did everybody have one? Anybody not? Raise your hand if you don't have one. We're going to get one to you. Back here, some hungry people. Anybody like chocolate? Oh, come on. Do you like chocolate out there? Okay. Maybe not after communion. No, that's not a part of communion. We're not stretching. I've seen people use many things for bread, but that's not it today. (laughs) Anyway. Uh, last week, as I shared, uh, keep it in your hand. Don't eat it. If someone eats it, slap their hand. I'll tell you what to do with it in a minute. Last week, as I said, John uh, Lux shared on obedience. And it was an awesome thing uh, to behold when he talked about several times that God touched his heart to do something and he really didn't do it. He kind of shook it off. And then eventually he took that opportunity to take a risk in God and, and God touched and changed this young lady's life. As he shared that, um, we're around in the corner in this very short series. But the good news is the series is called Revival More Than a Moment. So it's, it's going to keep going after this series is well over. God's going to do it. But today we're going to talk about something called bold preaching. Oh, wow. Bold preaching. Well, there's an important element of revival is, is bold preaching. And uh, we're going to look today at how God uses bold preaching to forward his purposes in revival. But I want to say that when I mention bold preaching, a lot of you have different images that pop into your mind, don't you? Some of you may have an image. Uh, anybody been to a Red Sox baseball game lately? Oh, man. Well, I went to one. They actually won, but I left early. But I was walking into the Red Sox, and there's a guy uh, that I've seen for years in Boston with a uh, sandwich board repent or go to hell you know that one you've seen this fella and he's got him he's i'll give it to him he is diligent he's been there every year i've been here but anyway you may picture that as bold preaching a guy out there with a sandwich board you know handing out uh 
things and really, um, uh, really, yeah, doing what he's doing out there. Maybe the only way you think about bold preaching is what I do on a Sunday morning. Well, Jeff boldly preaches sometimes when he gets the, uh, when he gets the unction to do it, or Jeff is, is preaching, or someone else up here, you see that that is bold preaching. Maybe you think of it as, as I've shared before, a revival week, where you bring a bunch of speakers in, the church brings a bunch of speakers in, and they share with people about Jesus, and that's the bold preaching for the year, <laughs> and the rest of the time we just kind of learn about the Bible. But... Uh, one other thing you may think is an evangelistic outreach, right? We had a crew go out to New York City. Who went on that? Anybody out there going to the New York City outreach? Well, anyway, we had a crew go out there. They went out on the streets and they sang songs and they did dramas, you know, where somebody had a gold uh, thing on and they were representing Jesus and, and the whole story told. And then someone stands up with a microphone and begins telling people about Jesus. Well, these are different thoughts that might enter your mind about bold preaching, you may have other thoughts that enter your mind, but uh, I want to let you know that um, bold preaching is not just something for a few people. Bold preaching is not just me up here on a Sunday morning. It's not that you have to be outside on a street corner, though that may include bold preaching, but uh, bold preaching is something that every single one of us in the church can and should be a part of wherever we go. You know, everyone's not going to hear about the good news of Jesus if it's just a few paid professionals, just a few people that are really the experts at it. No, it's when the whole group of us, the whole body of Christ, uh, not only at CFCF, but throughout our city begins boldly sharing right where they're at the good news of Jesus. There are many ways to do that. But uh, I do want to mention that bold preaching, I want to mention one uh, revival that specifically bold preaching played a, a role in. And I would say it, it, it did play a role in every revival. But this one was interesting. In the First Great Awakening, anybody around for the First Great Awakening? No, didn't think so. 1730s and 1740s. A couple of guys named Whitfield and Wesley. George Whitfield and John Wesley. John Wesley became the father of Methodism. He was a Methodist. He had a method to his gladness. And he uh, did a lot of things. And then you had uh, Whitfield, who was an amazing preacher. Well, anyway, George Whitfield and John Wesley uh, preached in churches like I'm doing today. Or actually, you know, they really actually probably preached in more church buildings. But they also preached everywhere they went. A very interesting fact about the First Great Awakening is um, that these men, they uh, went out um, outside of buildings. They they weren't contained. They went out on fields. You see John Wesley. He went out on fields. He went everywhere preaching the gospel. It wasn't contained within a building. And that was a part, that bold preaching. I think we saw a little taste of what it's like that really bold preaching is not only for a place here on a Sunday morning, but bold preaching is for everywhere out there. We want to talk about that today. I want to read a quote by John Wesley. He says, I look upon all the world as my parish. Thus far, I mean that in whatever part of it I am, I judge it meet, right, and my bounden duty to declare unto all that are willing to hear the glad tidings of salvation. 
Why don't you read that part with me? Whatever part of it I am. Say that with me. Whatever part of it I am. Say that one more time. Whatever part of it I am. What part of the world are you in? (laughs) Are you in the business world? Are you in the educational world? Are you in, you're in a neighborhood, maybe Fenway, maybe Brighton, maybe Brookline, but whatever part of the world you are in, it is your duty, but also I want to suggest today your joy to be able to declare to all that are willing to hear, the world is my parish, John Wesley said, and it's ours too. The good news is I do not believe that God is anointing, that God is raising up just individuals this day and hour though there will be people very strong in the gift of preaching, but God is raising up the entire body of Christ to be on fire for Jesus and share about Him everywhere. So I want you to do something right now. Um, I want you to get out your piece of chocolate and uh, eat it if you want, or hand it to someone else to eat. You can give me one. I'd be nice to have one, but I won't take it right now. One quote that I heard is, it takes the whole church preaching the whole gospel to win the whole world. It takes the whole church preaching the whole gospel to win the whole world. And that's really what we're about. Here we go. Here's the idea today. We are to taste God's goodness. This is what bold preaching is boiled down. Taste God's goodness and invite others to taste His goodness as well. Taste God's goodness and invite others to taste His goodness as well. That's where bold preaching comes. Psalm 34, 8 says this, Taste and see that the Lord is good. (laughs) Blessed is the one who takes refuge in Him. You know, people, have you ever noticed this? You may say, Jeff, I'm not... An evangelist. I'm not someone that's bold. I don't share with people about Jesus. That's just not my gift. That's a gift for someone like Priscilla Sinclair or Whitney or, you know, these people leading these outreaches. That's just not me. Well, an interesting thing I've noticed is that each and every one of you that I've met is an evangelist about something you're excited about. You will talk about stuff because I've heard you talk about it. And I've talked about it too. I'm a slide evangelist about a lot of different things. And that's okay to share. But people will share about what they're excited about. You see people all the time bold about telling people about stuff they're excited about. Stuff they have so-called tasted and seen and it's good. You ever do that? Yes, you do. People are excited about essential oils. You ever noticed? Hey, by the way, I like essential oils. I'm not here to bash whoever's selling essential oils. And if you don't know what they are, you're not married. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just joking around. My wife brought me into the world of essential oils. They're nice smelling and all of that. But people are excited. about. If they're excited and they have tasted and seen the essential oil world, man, they are going to tell you about it. What is the last thing that you got excited about that you began telling everyone about? Garlic and lemons. Mm. Oh, well, you're getting kind of where I'm getting. I read on ABC News, this is interesting, where people are excited about coffee beans found in the poop of a cat. Is that weird? 
People are excited about it. People are going to tell you about it. Well, they better get me excited about it because it's 90 bucks a cup. I mean, I could go home and feed some beans to my cat, have him poop it out, and make a cup of coffee for free. I don't know what. Maybe it's a certain type of cat. Well, it's an exotic delicacy called the Kopi Luwak, made from coffee beans found in the droppings of the Indonesian civet cat. A single serving, as I said, can go for as much as $90. People are excited about something. They're telling you about it. I first went to my favorite Italian restaurant in the North End. Who can tell me what it is? few of you know. Uh-huh. You know what it is because I've evangelized you on it. Evan- uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Giacomo's. I like Giacomo's. You don't have to like it. It's the one with the line outside. But anyway, I first went uh, because somebody was excited about it and they told me about it. And uh, now, if you ask me about a place to go in the North End, I will tell you some places like Galleria Umberto, but you've got to get there before 3 o'clock because they will close up once they've sold all their little uh, rice balls and different things. But I will tell you about Giacomo's because I have tasted and seen that the fried calamari with peppers is good. I have tasted and seen (laughs) that the fettuccine with chicken, peppers, and onions in a tomato cream sauce is good. And so I'm telling you about it. Go get it. It's 14 bucks. I think they raised it to 15, but it's really a good deal. So what I want to say is this. (laughs) When we taste and we see that God is good, we become bold evangelists. People don't talk about stuff they're not excited about. Now, I know there's a spiritual dynamic and there's a spiritual war in sharing Jesus, even in our city. But I can tell you the surest way we're never going to share about Jesus is never taste and see that the Lord is good. But that's what we're about here as a people. We want to taste and see God as good. How, you may ask, Jeff, do I taste God's goodness? Well, I will tell you this. It's not by hearing how good God is. Now, that's a good thing you need to hear because faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. It's not uh, by um, understanding a lot of spiritual truths, though that's good as well. What it is, is it's experiencing God's goodness in prayer, in worship, in relationship with others who excite your spiritual taste buds to come to know Jesus more. It's you being someone who hungers and thirsts after God. Jesus said, if you hunger and if you thirst for righteousness, you will be filled. Praise His holy name. So we're going to taste and see that the Lord is good. What does God's goodness taste like? Well, Exodus chapter 33, 18 through 21 and Exodus 34, 6 and 7. There's an encounter with Moses, the man of God on the mountain with God the Father. And um, <clears throat> he, has, he has an encounter, and he's crying out to God that God would show him his glory and go with him and be with him. He was hungering. He was thirsting. He was saying, it's not enough for us just to go. You have to be with us, God. And this is what happened. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, so Moses is on the mount, by the way, and he's getting the Ten Commandments at this point, just for context. I will cause, God said, the Lord said, all my, what? Goodness. 
That's interesting. He says, show me your glory. And God said, I'm going to cause all my goodness. We think about glory and we're like, glory, it's some white bleached, you know, thing out there. It's some, and glory is something that's unexplainable. But the glory of God is connected with the goodness of God. That's why we can taste and see that God is good. He basically says, I'm going to let you taste and see that I'm good. I will cause all my goodness to pass in front and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you can stand on a rock. Let's keep going here. A little bit later, it says, and he, the Lord, passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. What does the goodness of God taste like? The goodness of God tastes like compassion and graciousness. It's someone that is kind. When you interact with God, He is all-powerful. He is one to be awed, one to be feared in a holy way. Not a, not a scared way, but, a, but an awesome reverence of who He is. But I'm telling you, when you taste God's goodness, you are broken down by His compassionate nature and His kindness. His graciousness. You think of the most gracious and kind person you could ever imagine on earth. It pales in comparison when you're in interaction with God. Do you think of God that way? Have you tasted and seen that He's good in that way? Or are you wondering if you came into His presence, if you began to talk to Him, that He would be unkind, ticked off, upset with you? Because you haven't done a good enough job. The goodness of God tastes full of, it's abounding in, it, it tastes full of love and faithfulness. Man, praise God for his faithfulness. What does faithfulness mean? It means I blow it and he gives me a new second chance getting me back on track again. It means I, I, uh, I fail and then he doesn't fail. It means, as D.L. Moody, the evangelist actually in Chicago in the 1800s said, uh, early 1900s, he said, uh, God has been a million times better to me than I have been to him. Praise his holy name. Man. (laughs) That's what the goodness of God tastes like. It tastes like faithfulness. It tastes like me as a a youngster at at, uh, college when I began to run away from God, I got into drugs, I got into alcohol, I, I, I blew my life on all kinds of wild living as the prodigal son. I gave myself to iniquity. I turned my back on God. And God tracked me down with His love. He said, I'm not going to let go of you, son. And He got a hold of my life when I was 20 years old, a junior in college. And He gave me the opportunity to be a witness for Him. To share with other people about Him. Man, His faithfulness. When I went to, to a dark, deep depression... And 17 or 18 years ago, I was hospitalized for two weeks, sleeping 24 hours a day. The mission I was involved in had failed, a church planning effort in Europe. And I was, I, I'd given up on myself. I was, I was, 
I'd given up on life. I was suicidal in my thoughts. And God, He showed His faithfulness to me. He said, I haven't given up on you yet, Jeff. (laughs) You've given up on you, but I've never given up on you. Do you know that? You give up on yourself a lot quicker than He gives up on you. He's not giving up on you. Oh, praise His name. He is faithful. The same faithful God that when I wondered when I was 35 years old, am I ever going to get married? He said, I have something stored up for you. Good. I thought, I kind of had this twisted thought that because of some of my decisions I had made, I kind of earned and deserved certain things in my life. God was punishing me of a sort. I had a twisted viewpoint of God. God does not punish. He punishes those who do not receive Christ and those who resist Him, but He disciplines His children. Those who receive God, He disciplines us, but it is for our good. God doesn't hold grudges. Praise His holy, blessed, wonderful name. We hold grudges. We feel like we have to prove to our spouse or to our friend or to our neighbor how bad they hurt us. And so we cop an attitude for a period of time just so they have enough time to stew in it so that they can know how bad they did. And then we begin translating that to God. Maybe you had a father or a mother that was harsh, that was quick to judge, that was not compassionate, that was not gracious. You saw that authority figure and you translate it right to God. God wants to rewire us so that we can taste right. The goodness of God, though, also tastes of forgiving of wickedness. You see, people are destined uh, for a place apart from God, which is called hell, apart from um, uh, receiving forgiveness through Jesus Christ. But God does not delight in judgment. God's delight is in people turning to come to Him and to come to know Him. And anyone that is sharing with people uh, that has a true understanding of God does not hate the world. We hate the world system in 1 John where it says hate the world and the things of the world, but we do not hate the people in the world. We love them with a compassion and with tears, hot steaming tears, whether in our hearts or coming out of our eyes, because without Christ, just as with him, without Him for ourselves, they, would, they will um, spend eternity with Um, alone and without God. But the goodness of God also tastes full of justice and does not leave the guilty unpunished. It is good to know that when, when the day comes when God has His full way, every wrong will be righted. You and I don't have to make the right. You and I don't have to make the wrongs right. God will right every wrong. He will not leave the guilty unpunished. The guilty who do not repent of their sin. The guilty who do not turn away from their own way. He will take care of it all. We don't have to be God. We don't have to hold on to it because He's taking care of it. Right? As it says scripturally, that um, uh, to leave room for God's judgment. God will take care of things. So God is good. God's goodness tastes compassionate and gracious. God's goodness tastes full of love and faithfulness. God's goodness tastes forgiving of wickedness. And God's goodness tastes full of justice, not to leave the guilty unpunished. Praise His holy name. So we are to taste and to see that God is good. We taste it through interacting and and calling out after God. Not just a mental ascent, but getting uh, before God and calling out to Him. And receiving, learning how to receive from Him. But we are also called... To invite other people, that's part of the holy boldness. That's what holy boldness comes. Invite other people to taste God's goodness. 
God wants you to taste of Him in such a way that you share with other people. Come on and taste the goodness of God I've tasted. Come, taste the forgiveness of God that I've tasted. Come, taste the faithfulness of God that I've experienced in my life. Come. Acts 5 and verse 42 says, Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they, this is speaking of the apostles who were, were um, on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down in Acts chapter 2, uh, and the believers after them, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. These people were tasting and seeing that God was good in everything. You look at Acts 2, 42-47. They were meeting together with glad and sincere hearts. They were breaking, um, they were breaking bread and, and sharing their lives together. Miracles were happening. They were giving to the... To, there was no needy persons among them. They were giving to the poor. What was going on in heaven in God's heart, was happening on earth among a people. They were tasting and seeing, but they proclaimed everywhere to the people around them, come and taste the good God that we have tasted and come and be a part of the party. The first thing, though, I want to mention about uh, that, uh, about inviting others to take, to taste and see, is uh, that we have to take a risk, though. Sometimes uh, we have this feeling that to taste and see that the Lord is good uh, is... Um, is enough that we'll taste and then we'll we'll totally feel this boldness all the time if we're tasting and it's going to happen that way no tasting and seeing that god is good puts something in us to be willing to take a risk for jesus it, it's not that we're always feeling we think boldness is sometimes this this kind of beaker within us it's that's filled up you know and now i'm bold because i've got it in me and there is a holy boldness that comes through the holy spirit but I'm telling you, a lot of times boldness manifests itself in us when we say, Jesus, I've tasted of you. What I've tasted of you, I know. And I'm going to take a risk to make you known to someone around me. You must remember that if you have a relationship with Jesus, you have a lion living in you. You have a lion within you. The lion of the tribe of Judah lives within you. And he wants to roar, get out. That was a weird roar. The lion of the tribe of Judah lives in you. The Lamb of God also lives within you. So don't be a uh, jerk to everyone around you. I've just got a lion within me. But the Lion of the tribe of Judah, God within you is the Lion. You don't have to be the Lion. The one within you is the Lion. And He wants to come out upon those. And some, that is just saying, God, I surrender to you. I surrender my reputation. I surrender my own will and my own desires to you. So the Lion of the tribe of Judah is with you and He will rise up as you take a risk. So you want to take a risk inviting others to taste God's goodness, but you want to do it together. Now, um, Luke chapter 10 and verse 1 says this, After the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two, that's just a little verse on taking a risk there. After the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of Him to every town and place where He was about to go. The Lord appointed 72 others and He sent them out two by two. Jesus sent the disciples out in twos. Peter and Paul went out with others around them. Peter and John in Acts chapter 3, they went to the temple to pray. They met a lame man on the way. He held out his palm and asked for some alms. And this is what Peter did say. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Well, that's Peter and John together. I didn't sing it for you today, though I have many times. Peter and John were together together. 
and, and a bold expression of God through healing. Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16 boldly preached the gospel and they were imprisoned together for it, but they were in it together. I can tell you this, I am so much bolder when I'm with another believer in a situation. I'm so much bolder when I'm with you. <laughs> you may say, how, do you, how are you doing that? How do you do? I get stirred up by the Jesus in you. When Jesus in you touches Jesus in me, man, it stirs me up to be bold for God. When we're together, we're often empowered to new levels of tasting God's goodness and new levels of risk to invite people to God's goodness. I want to close with this illustration here. One example of someone in my life who tasted and saw that the Lord was good, um, and, and she also invited many, many other people to taste and see that Jesus is good. Her name was Tina. She was a good friend of mine when I lived back in Waco, Texas. And Tina was one of those people and so much in love with Jesus, it was almost obnoxious. You know that? <laughs> oh, yes, you do. <clears throat> or I do. She was so in love with Jesus, it convicted me, you know? I was like, what planet is this woman living on? She was fired up for God at all times. She was a great lady, but you were scared to be around her because you didn't know when she was going to do something wild for Jesus. But it was, she was tasting and seeing of Jesus uh, at every turn. Anyway, um, I want you to picture this scene, okay? Can you picture it with me here? It's a Christmas party with a few young adults around. Any young adults in the room? Yeah? Raise your hand if you're a young adult in this room. We're all young. Come on. I'm a young adult. Uh, anyway, there's some young adults in the room. And uh, there were Christmas lights. It was very nice. There was a Christmas tree with tinsel. And I, I don't know, there might have been popcorn strung on, on, the, uh, on the tree. There was, uh, oh, there was awesome smells. The smell of pine needles. Can you smell them? And uh, there was Christmas baking, cinnamon some other spices, the smell of coffee, the smell of hot apple cider. You tasting it? You feeling it? Well, I was. I was thoroughly enjoying it, sitting down, resting from my hard work as a minister. All of a sudden, I'm wakened from my comfortable stupor by a voice. It's a high voice, you know. It's Tina's voice. <laughs> oh, Tina. Tina, she's saying something, then I clue in, you know. I'm like, uh, oh, no, Tina, uh-oh. What's going to happen here? Tina's voice. She's making a most uncomfortable suggestion. Uh, no, no, no. I clue in. I say, surely not. She's not doing this. Tina's saying, um, and she's saying in her excited voice, she's saying, hey, y'all, down the way, just a few houses, there's a keg party going on. Why don't we go down there and share with them about Jesus? Oh, man, inside, I'm like, you could not have ruined my party any worse. I am enjoying the, the coffee and the smells and I'm here with believers and the holy huddle. I cannot believe you would be so offensive as to get me out of the house after I've done, to, you know. Anyway, I was not loving it. I was slightly offended, not, not completely, but I was definitely scared that Tina would choose such a time as Christmas, the birth of Jesus. She chose Christmas when Jesus came to earth to take a risk to tell people about God's goodness. I can't believe it. Anyway. I recovered, though, because I was a leader. Had to recover quick, <laughs> right? So I decided I'm, I'm going to get the party. Oh, well, anyway, I, I, I recovered, and I said, uh, I'll go, you know? And then a couple of other people are like, I'll go, you know? Yeah, okay, I'll go. And so a few of us decided to go, and we're walking down the street, and I was not excited yet at this point. I had tasted. I had seen that the Lord was good. I just needed my sister to help me 
to, to take a risk. Uh, <clears throat> but anyway, so then we get down there and um, I notice that Tina's looking and she's smiling at me. And I'm realizing I'm her leader. <laughs> and I, I, I see from this, oh, I'm getting this party started. Oh, okay. Golly. So, you know, we're standing at the door. The keg party's going on inside. And I'm like, and you know, like, oh, let them not hear us, you know. Anyway, the door flings open. No other choice, you know. I mean, they're right there. So I just, I call everybody and I say, all right, everybody. Why don't you quiet down a minute? You know, they're all just partying all over the place. I said, hey, <laughs> where do you, what else do you do? I mean, in this, hey, uh, we love Jesus and we love to tell him, uh, to tell other people about him. and just wanted to know if, if we could talk with you about the love of Jesus today. Man, the lion came out of me. The very second I opened my mouth, he was ready to leap. I wasn't afraid anymore. I was on the other side. But anyway, the folks at the party, they didn't respond at all the way I thought they'd respond. They didn't. Uh, they, they said, uh, well, come on in. You know, they're inviting us all in. We're like, well, okay, we got an in. So within just a very short period of time, we're all just kind of up against different, different walls, seated in, uh, seated in different areas, and we're just twos and threes talking with people about Jesus. Well, I'm over in the corner with some kid, and, you know, the lion of the tribe of Judah is, is excited within me, and I'm sharing with them about Jesus Man, God loves you. He has a wonderful plan. And all of a sudden, I clue in and he clue, clues in. And I say, do I know? Don't I know you? And he said, yes. Yeah, I do know you. I said, Kyle? And he said, yes. And Kyle ended up being a, a child that was in our, uh, the youth group that I'd worked with about three or four years, five years earlier. Uh, as about a 13-year-old. Now he was a grown-up 18-year-old. And I'm looking at him. He's obviously grown now. But... I realized this is a kid that I tried to disciple at one time that was never really interested in God at all. I'm in this party, and God's opened the door. And um, I began to share with him, and, I share, and he began to share with me, man, my life, I, I, I've just not gone at all in the way that God would have me to, or I don't even know if he said it that way, but he said, I'm, I've been running from God, and uh, I don't want to do it anymore. I said, man... God loves you. He has a purpose for you. There were a couple of guys, so I connected him, or he got connected with a couple of guys from our church that worked with him, and he ended up giving his life to Jesus. And uh, at, the, at the church, um, at the church uh, a few weeks or a couple months later, he got baptized, and this was a fairly large church, and he gets baptized, and he goes under the water, you know, shares his testimony about how he came to know Jesus, and he comes out of the water, and his father was a minister in town that had been praying and praying for him. He was a minister of a small congregation, another congregation. He'd come that day, and as his son gets baptized, he goes, my son was dead, but now he's alive, and he joined his father in ministry. I just think that's interesting. What if Tina hadn't stirred me to go, to be bold, to let the lion of the tribe of Judah come out <laughs> and share with other people? You see, it's vital. If we don't taste it, if I'd have never tasted and seen that the Lord was good, I'd have never taken the risk to go with Tina. Tasting and seeing that the Lord is good just puts you willing to take a risk. It doesn't eliminate the risk. And God wants us to know that He has a wonderful plan. For our lives. So very simply, boldness. For us to grow in holy boldness. And to be those 
who um, are bold witnesses, who boldly preach about Jesus everywhere that we go. We need to taste God's goodness. And then we need to take those risks with others. We need to invite others to taste His goodness with you because He is good. And He is so good. He, he's an also very much an includer of other people. What if everyone in our church sought to taste God's goodness on a daily basis? To take that risk. You know, it's a risk to take extra time to spend with Jesus when you could be doing so many other things. But what if we took that time to taste? We hungered, we thirsted after God in that way. What if we took time to gather together? We took the risk to gather together with other believers and come before God and taste Him together in a special way and stir one another up to know Jesus. And what if we took the risk? We invited others, each other, to pray for our work associates, to pray, see, partnering together, to pray for our school associates. And we, we took the risk to maybe invite one of our, our colleagues out for lunch and, and share the testimony of what God's done in our life, to take a friend with us, not asking you to do it alone. Somehow work out a way you can be together. What if we did that? What if we did that? What if this church and the city did that? What would our city look like? I believe it'd be transformed by God's goodness. I believe that revival would not be far off. I want us today in our response to, to taste of God's goodness as the band comes forward. It may be through singing. It may be through praying. It may through, be through being still or coming forward to respond. But I want us to taste God's goodness today. I want us to really experience who He is and to get out of our, our box uh, and the boxes that we put God in. And um, I want the band to begin playing. I want us to stand. And I'd like you, if you would, just to pray for the person on your right and your left a moment and just ask God for them. Just begin to ask God to open their hearts and minds to taste and see God's goodness to understand what God is really like. And just begin to pray. Just begin to ask God right where you're sitting, right where you're standing, to reveal Himself to you.